This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. When all, all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there is illusion and there is enlightenment, there is practice, there is birth and there is death. There's ordinary beings, and there's Buddhas. When all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, that is, when all events, when all experience, when all phenomena, when all things, are recognized as identical to, the same as, the Buddha way. Then, of course, this will include both illusion and enlightenment. It will include practice or cultivation. It will include generation and extinction. And it will include ordinary existence and awakened existence. However, when all these myriad dharmas, when all these, all these, all this phenomena, all these things are received with no self, with non-self, as non-self, then it's said this way: no illusion, and no enlightenment, no generation and no extinction, no ordinary being, no awakened being. So good so far? This is Dogen's, Dogen's, Nevertheless, with these, with all this phenomena, with the Buddha way completely unconstrained by any dualities, such as the completion of something and its incompleteness, unconstrained by any duality, it can be available as both illusion and enlightenment, as both generation and extinction, and as both ordinary being and awakened being. Yet even though we recognize this, 
Still, we begrudge the fading of a flower and are dismayed by the flourishing of weeds. To practice an attempt to confirm existence by conveying a self to it is called illusion. For existence itself to come forward as practice and confirm you, that's called awakening. Those who thoroughly awaken delusion are called Buddhas. Those who are deluded within the concepts and realms of ideas of awakening are ordinary beings. And there are those who are awakened even beyond awakening and those who are deluded even in the midst of their delusion. Yet a realized Buddha may not even necessarily recognize that they are Buddha, but nevertheless they manifest as Buddha. There is just the scene of forms and the hearing of sounds with the body and mind as one and making this intimate, intimately its own and fully knowing it. But this knowing is not like a reflection in a mirror, not like the moon reflected on the water. It's direct. In seeing one side, the other side might not be visible to you. So, to study the Buddha way is to study oneself. To study oneself is to release self. And to release self is to be confirmed by all existence. And to be confirmed by all existence is to affect the dropping off of identity of body and mind of oneself and the identities beyond oneself as well. This experience has no trace. It has no specific path. It's traceless, and this traceless awakening continues continues on and on forever.
So, there's my introduction. This is the beginning of the Genjo Koan. Many of you are familiar with it, I know. An interesting turn that Dogen makes in the beginning of Genjo Koan. He he says, how does it go? Seeing the forms, hearing sounds with body and mind as one, making them intimate, intimately their own and fully knowing them. But then he says, this knowing is not conceptual. It's not an idea. It's an experience, a direct experience. It's not like a reflection in a mirror. It's not a concept. You won't even necessarily see the whole thing because you're seeing it from one point of view. It's that direct. And then he turns, he turns this whole thing and he says, he says, what, basically, what to do? What's the next step? And what he's basically saying as he begins to say, to learn the Buddha way is to learn the self. He says, listen, we have to start with what we have. We have to start locally. We have to start with our experience. We have to start with this body and this mind at this time, at this place, and see what comes up. We start to we start with ourselves. We start to look at ourselves. In this meditation experience that uh, we all participated in, we sit down and what do we do? We're just quiet and still um, and we face a wall, very minimal. We keep things relatively simple and minimal. But we still have... um, We've still come to this place. We're here. And we're here with what? We're here with... um, with this body, right? And with this mind, this consciousness. And that's where we start. So to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To meet the Buddha way to meet the way of awakening is first and foremost you meet yourself to to love the way of awakening is to love yourself to engage in the way of awakening is to engage yourself So that's really all I've got to say.
um, we just start here with what we have and accept the conditions of our mind and accept the conditions of our body. Some people can sit amazingly full lotus, perfectly still. Some people can sit only in a chair. I'm having serious knee problems these days, so I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, We bring to it our mind, we bring to this meditation activity whatever mind we have, whatever mind we find we have. Sitting down, we might notice a something other than what we conceive a meditation mind to be. Have any of you had that experience? <laughs> and we start there. We start with recognizing it as our immediate experience, our consciousness of the moment. Sometimes it's flooded with lots of discursive thought. Sometimes it's sleepy. Sometimes it's anxious and afraid. Sometimes it's just wild not be tamed. (laughs) To study the Buddha way is to study the self, to meet the self as it is. Start there. Start there. Now, uh, I've noticed, and maybe some of you have noticed, that the world outside of me, outside, outside world, is um, is in disharmony, often, and right now in our this time in the history of this country, there's there's a sharp pitch of disunity and discord. And and even at a smaller uh, scale, we can say um, that maybe that exists in my relationships with another person, for instance, or within the Sangha, within the community of people that practice together, since so many different backgrounds and different places, there's, there, might, there might be disharmony. And we can, even though we're our own individual vehicle, with our own personal history and our own agenda and uh, our own needs and issues, still we feel the, the environment 
of disharmony. And it's not to say it's any better or worse than it was in other times in history. Um, we don't have a civil war necessarily on our footsteps like Syria does and other places. But it's impossible not to be unaffected by the disharmony, we, the discord that we see in the world. We feel it. And it's part of our awareness. There's a story I like very much. Um, it's been circulated. You may have heard it. Um, it's a story told by uh, Richard Willem, who's, uh, Wilhelm, who's a, um, who was a, uh, a famous sinologist, um, studied Chinese culture. And he's, he's well known for uh, the first and definitive translation of the Yijing. Uh, so one time, uh, uh, Richard Willem was in China, and he heard this story of uh, a Western region that um, was, was uh, suffering from a great drought. And he heard, he heard this story that uh, the elders of this region uh, brought in a, a, a wise man, a holy man from the mountains and uh, brought him to the place where, where the drought was and, um, and then it rained and the drought was over. Um, so uh, Wil- Wilhelm was really fascinated by this story. It sounded very magical. And uh, so he, um, he went to this western region and after some difficulty he, he found this sage, this holy man who uh, lived in the mountains. And he went and he, he interviewed this, this man and he said, um, he asked him, how did you make it rain? Do you know this story? Uh, oh. And um, and the holy man laughed and said, "Oh, I didn't make it rain." And and Willem uh, said, "Well, what happened? Can, what happened?" He said um, that the holy man said that when they they came and got him and brought him to this region of great drought, he he he. Um, immediately being in this area of disharmony, of, of imbalance, um, he, he himself felt imbalance and, and felt this disharmony within himself. And so he asked the elders to put him in a, in a small a hut on the outskirts of town and um, And um, and so he um, he said to Willem, he said, "I was in such a state of of imbalance, of discord, of feeling this suffering around me, 
that it took me three whole days to get myself back into harmony, to get myself back into balance. And then, of course, it rained. (laughs) That's the story. I think you can get the point that um, it's not so much whether someone can make it rain or not, but when there's (coughs) when there's discord and imbalance around you that you can feel in the environment, we can uh, take a lesson from this this sage, this Chinese sage, that. First, we must put ourselves in harmony and bring ourselves back to balance. And then the world around us will manifest as harmony and balance. So how to do it? Well, we have this um, this wonderful practice that's been passed down to us. This yogic tradition from India of sitting quietly. It's been embellished and um, developed through uh, Chinese culture, influence of Taoism, particularly, um, and then through Japan, and finally here in America, we're kind of, at the moment, at this very moment, we're making our own version of this practice, um, this kind of American-style meditation, such as it is. Um, but it's wonderful, and... Um, Yes, this is what we're doing. Uh, Sitting down a little bit together and coming back to balance, to harmony. Meeting ourselves in this particular way. You know, it takes it takes a lot of energy to run a um, an alternate reality alongside what is truly real, and it takes a lot of energy to um, to feed the beast of excessive craving of any kind. It takes less energy. It's actually easy to be real. So, uh, this is the invitation of this practice, which we do together, but we do independently. 
is to become real. There's so many varieties and styles of and creative expressions of how to be uh, how to be you could say unreal and we're really good at it at at creating and maintaining a story of who we are and what the world is um There's a, a teacher that I really like, uh, uh, Jay Garfield, um, who calls this um, this incessant making of identity uh, um, polar axis identification. Polar axis identification. So if you think about a a, a globe and it has the various lines. That kind of go up to one point, to the to the pole. That's what we do. All the lines come up to, to me, to me, to to my world, to my version of reality. And um, yeah, that is what we do. <laughs> To sit a little bit and to release that uh, tendency to make a self is what Dogen talks about. So he says, to meet the Buddha way, let's meet ourselves. And if we thoroughly meet ourselves, we will in that process, if we authentically meet ourselves, we will release, we will release selfness. We will release because it doesn't work. It's obviously not functional and it um, makes trouble. <laughs> and it's, although it's very familiar and um, we're very used to it and we um, we're at home with this identification process. Um, if we really meet ourselves um, in in this way, we will um, release selfness. And and if we release selfness, then the whole world comes forward and confirms you and is you and acknowledges you and says, what kept you so long? I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting to meet the real you. And that sense of separation uh, dissolves. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. 
Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.